you know, we're basically saying we want half the pie. And now we've kind of been like, okay, we'll, we'll take a piece of the pie. And now we're literally settling for the crumbs. Like, okay, you, you need me to sacrifice my child in order to fit this male normative world. Welcome to the Know Why podcast. I'm your host, Liberty McCarter. For many of us, it's not enough to know what people say about life's most important questions. We also want to know why. Each week, Know Why tackles tough questions on topics ranging from spirituality to current events. While we approach these issues from a Christian perspective, we discuss diverse opinions and ultimately dive into what the research says. Are you ready to know why? Let's get started. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines feminism this way, belief in and advocacy of the political, economic, and social equality of the sexes expressed especially through organized activity on behalf of women's rights and interests. So that's the official definition according to the dictionary, but today it can feel like the word feminism or feminist has a lot more attached to it. For a lot of people on both sides of the abortion debate, modern feminism has come to be seen as inextricably linked with abortion. We kind of, you have the traditional pro-life advocacy groups who reject anything to do with feminism saying they're just, you know, man haters and, and they want abortion. And then you have People who advocate for abortion saying, well, you can't actually be a feminist unless you uh, support abortion because that's one of the crucial issues for women. And this was brought to light back in 2017, even more so when you had the first Women's March. It was a historic event organized after the election of uh, Donald Trump to the presidency by uh, feminist groups who were concerned about misogyny in America. And there were actually some feminist groups that were opposed to abortion that got kicked out of the or kicked off the sponsor list because of their stance on abortion. And so that kind of solidified in a lot of people's minds the fact that you can't be feminist and oppose abortion at the same time. But there is another group, uh, maybe even a growing group of people who call themselves pro-life feminists. And they argue that real feminism is inconsistent with abortion. And here to discuss that point of view is Destiny Herndon De La Rosa. She's our guest. She is an activist, a writer, a frequent guest on media shows around the nation, and the founder of a nonprofit called New Wave Feminist. So thank you so much for joining us, Destiny. Thank you for having me. And is there anything I missed in your bio, like your official titles? I, I think I got it all from my perspective, but what I about think, you? I think that that's probably it. It's, yeah, I mean, just... Kind of going around stirring up stuff everywhere. It's sort of what New Wave Feminist does, challenging um, consistency in a lot of different movements and uh, having a lot of fun doing it. Great. Well, I'm so glad you're here. So talk about uh, the New Wave Feminist a little more, that organization that you started and kind of how that came about. So New Wave Feminist started... Gosh, 14, 15 years ago, I never expected it to be a thing. So I didn't really keep track of when mm -hmm. it started. Like we were a MySpace page. So when I speak at colleges, I always tell the kids, like, go home and ask your parents what MySpace was. Um, <laughs> that's it was it was just a small group of women. And then uh, we just started growing because we saw this need where there were so many people, like you said, who were pro-life. And mm -hmm. by by the Merriam Webster definition, were absolutely feminist, but they had been told that feminism was synonymous with abortion rights. And so mm -hmm. they never really felt like they had a claim to that label. And, you know, I love the fact that for me, feminism is rooted in rebelling against the status quo. And sometimes that even means what the current version of feminism that's being put out there is. Mm -hmm. And so we just said, 
no, I mean, we're here. Every time somebody says you can't be pro-life and a feminist, I'm like, do you expect like a big puff of smoke to happen? And like, <laughs> I suddenly disappear, like right. I'm not Tinkerbell. So um, yeah, we've we've been growing and a lot of women have really found a voice through being able to be both feminist and anti-abortion. Mm. So I want to talk about the initial Women's March a little bit, and I'm not going to make you rehash it for a long time because I know you've talked this like probably to death, um, but just for people who aren't aware, you were one of the organizations that was kicked out of the sponsorship of the initial Women's March, and then you went anyway. So can yeah. you talk about a little bit what that experience was like, both getting kicked off the sponsor list and then going anyway and, and what that was like yeah, for your organization? So the march was coming up. We were planning on going, and we were hearing all this buzz, like articles are being written that said pro-life women are not welcome at the march. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I'm seeing it kind of everywhere but then I kind of started looking around. I'm like, has anybody tried? Like, have we asked or are we just assuming because it was sponsored by, you know, Planned Parenthood? And so at that point, I ended up reaching out to the Women's March and you can submit a thing to become a sponsor. And so mm -hmm. I just said, here's the deal. We're anti-abortion, but here are all the things that we agree on. We're talking about immigration. We're talking about racial justice, like obviously fighting things like domestic abuse and trafficking mm -hmm. and all of these other things that are um, oppressing the vulnerable and the marginalized. And so we would love to be sponsors. And I, I mean, no one was more shocked than me. Four days later, we were on the sponsors list. And so it was this huge moment. And um, The Atlantic was doing an article <clears throat> about the fact that they truly were being inclusive because they even had pro-life feminists here. Mm -hmm. And as soon as that news kind of hit the universe, Twitter went insane. And women are really strong, but we can't stand up against Twitter. I don't know if you know that. And so <laughs> um, we we were removed. And I remember I was actually I was doing a, a call with a school I was I was doing Zoom before it was cool. I'm a Zoom hipster. So it was like OSU or something. And I just closed the call and I get this, this my phone rings and it's somebody from Rolling Stone. And she's like, hey, could you give me uh, a quote real quick about being kicked out of the Women's March? And I have no clue <laughs> that this has even oh, happened. No. I was like, give me like 30 seconds uh -huh. to, uh, to form an opinion on this. And so, I mean, the next two weeks were just a deluge of like media. And a lot of it was kind of more conservative leaning media wanting us to bash the Women's March. But mm -hmm. we wouldn't really do that because we do agree with a lot of their points. And so we were able to talk about the consistent life ethic, which is this belief we subscribe to that is just human beings should live free from violence from womb to tomb. And so we don't fit into a political box. It's really just um, kind of a, a nonviolence platform that, mm -hmm. again, kind of ticks everybody off. And so then more left-leaning media was coming out of the woodwork and interviewing us and Vice and BBC and NPR. And they're like, hold on, like, you're making so much sense on these other issues. Like, why are you so weird on the abortion thing? Like, why are you not just towing the line? And we explained to them that, you know, when it comes to issues like bodily autonomy, I think you should have it the moment your body first exists. I think mm -hmm. that having... Um, treating women have been treated as property for most of millennia. And mm -hmm. so you have this new kind of rise of rights and liberations, but are we becoming the patriarchy ourselves? Are we now treating another subset of the human family as property based on their vulnerabilities? Mm -hmm. And as a feminist, I could just never get on board with that. And so the more we spread this message, um, the more it caught on and we went to the Women's March anyway, and um, there were actually quite a few of us. Rehumanize International was another group that joined us there and, so there were about 50 of us, and we had our signs and everything, and I was very, very nervous. I definitely, like, my husband and I had a whole conversation that mm -hmm. morning, and he's like, put your business card, like, in your boot or somewhere on your person in case you're unconscious. <laughs> and they yeah. need, I mean, like, wow. it was hoping for the best but preparing for the worst for sure. Mm -hmm. And um, so I remember <clears throat> standing out there waiting for 
our group to meet up and I'm holding my sign that just says I'm a pro-life feminist. And this woman comes rushing up to me and she's got the Planned Parenthood beanie and scarf that they were handing out and a big Planned Parenthood sign. And she was kind of older. So it was that generation that was fighting for Roe themselves. Mm-hmm. And they tend to kind of be the ones that are like, what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. Um, and she walks up and she sticks her finger in my face and she's like, I think it's wrong. And I'm like, I know. And I'm waiting for her to uh-huh. hit me. But I'm also like, I could probably take her. Like, I don't know. She was tiny. <laughs> um, and, but nonviolence, right? And so, and then she finishes her sentence and she's like, "That you were kicked out of this march. Like you, we disagree completely, but like you have every right to be here. And that happened over and over and over again that day. I even, I had done an interview on Fox that morning and this woman walks by and whispers to me and she's like you did great on Fox this morning and I'm like are you even allowed to be here (laughs) you're watching Fox (laughs) yeah I don't I don't think you're allowed here either lady um but it was really beautiful just Mm -hmm. this sisterhood and how yes the powers that be had a problem with it but honestly like the the populace the women who are actually marching like they made space for us and it's just been a really cool journey ever since then it definitely put us on the map we grew in numbers because people were like hold on this is a thing and again that idea of feminism being rooted in rebellion people basically had two weeks to have these dinner table conversations of Mm -hmm. can you be pro-life and a feminist? And a lot of them, I think it was almost just that contrarianness was like, well, yeah, I think you can. They're saying you can't. So I think you can. And Mm -hmm. so we ended up with a lot of support, even from people who disagree with us. Wow. that's I'm really glad to hear that perspective because I think a lot of times, and this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but we we kind of get focused on what the big pundits are saying or, you know, forget like the real life people, like when you were meeting people on the ground that, you know, maybe they had differences of opinion from you, but there was also stuff that you shared and you were able to be, um, you know, civil and and talk and support each other where you could. And so I, I think that's great. And so speaking of kind of common ground, I would say that, you know, let me just read this. This is from the Guttmacher Institute. So they are a pro-choice organization, but they do a lot of really important reporting on this issue. Um, And so They say that one of the most common or the most common reasons cited for people getting an abortion is that having a baby would dramatically interfere with their education, work, or ability to care for their dependents, or they could not afford a baby at the time. And so I think there are a lot of people on both sides of the issue that would agree that these are legitimate concerns. This is not the shout your abortion crowd necessarily of like, let's celebrate. This is so great. This is not the women are evil and, you know, don't like children. And so they get abortion because most women who have abortions, they already have kids or dependents. Um, These are really, these are legitimate concerns that, that women face when they're trying to make that decision. And so for a lot of people, they say, well, this is why we need abortion so that women have more freedom um, to make these choices that are best for their family. And you would probably say something else. So like when you hear that of why women seek abortion, like what's your view? Yeah. I mean, I would say, That's why society as a whole thinks they need abortion because it's a cop-out. It allows Mm -hmm. us to retain these patriarchal structures of a world that was built for men by men and doesn't accommodate womanhood. And so Mm -hmm. the solution is, you know, we're basically saying we want half the pie. And now we've kind of been like, okay, we'll we'll take a piece of the pie. And Mm -hmm. now we're literally settling for the crumbs. Like, okay, you you need me to sacrifice my child in order to fit this male normative world and deny my femininity. And because you are not going to provide um, these resources, communities are not coming together, whether it's it's I mean, I don't even know that I think the government is going to save us. I think the government messes most of the stuff up to begin with. But even just community support, making sure that that access is available Mm -hmm. for women I know for me, my mom got pregnant with me at 19 years old at the University of Texas and um, ended up having to quit school, took her a decade to complete her degree. And 
as a feminist, like that's something that frustrates me. Why did my mom mm-hmm. have to choose between life for me because she recognized my human dignity, even you know as a zygote, versus being able to choose life and have a life for herself? Mm-hmm. I mean, it would have made our lives much better had she had the support to go ahead and finish her degree and mm-hmm. um, get on her feet well. And through that, you know, she ended up having during that 10 years, having a couple failed marriages and experiencing abuse and poverty. And, you know, all of these things that are given as reasons for why someone like me should have been aborted. And I mean, I can tell you, like, real glad I'm here. (laughs) You know, death wouldn't have been a better option, even even with the things we've struggled through. I think they've actually made me more empathetic for people in those situations because I've experienced it firsthand. Mm -hmm. And then growing up in this very kind of sexualized, pornified culture, I completely fell into that lie that, you know, feminism is, um, you know, basically your value is in your sexuality and and this Mm -hmm. kind of Cosmo culture type feminism. And so at 16 years old, I ended up pregnant myself and nobody could have been more frustrated with that. The fact that it's like I knew how hard it was as a child in this scenario. And now here I was repeating it. But I also had my family's support just like my mother did. And that was a huge difference because I had so many peers, uh, classmates who were getting pregnant and their parents were the ones driving them to the abortion clinic or mm-hmm. they didn't know what resources were available when it comes to, you know, health care or anything else like that. And so they were making these decisions based off fear. And yeah. when we talk about it being pro-choice, but you see that the choice is being made because they feel like they have no other choice. That's not pro-choice. And that's what I challenge, you know, my truly pro-choice friends who are not pro-abortion but Mm -hmm. are pro-choice, if you believe in choice, then we need to look at all of the options available. And if you are just fighting for the crumbs for abortion, right, something that I don't think any woman in the world wants an abortion, it's not a Mm -hmm. fun thing, um, then what are you doing to actually empower women enough where they can continue a pregnancy? And that to me, that's why our group's a little different. We don't focus a lot on overturning Roe. We want to make a post-Roe culture right now. We mm-hmm. want those support systems in place. And so we always say we're not focused on making abortion illegal. We're focused on making it unthinkable and unnecessary by just supporting and loving women so well. And I think that's just because I've been on both sides. I've been the unborn mm-hmm. child and I've been the woman. And it is absolutely terrifying. And the only calm in that storm is um, support from from my family and my community. Wow. Well, I want to circle back to that in a minute and talk about like some of those um, support systems that we need in communities to really, you know, make an abortion-free society, society a reality. But but first, I want to go back to something else you said, talking about the male normative society and settling for the crumbs. Um, so I think an issue that is more common than, than a lot of people realize is discrimination against women in the workplace, often surrounding the issues of pregnancy and motherhood. Um, and so it's popular in mainstream culture for a lot of corporations or companies to support women's rights, say we want more women in our C-suite, we want, um, you know, to give women promotions and women have more opportunities. And again, I don't think any decent person would say that's a bad thing. But um, then at the same time, sometimes at those same places, you have women getting passed over for promotion when they get pregnant or getting denied pregnancy accommodations that they should be able to ask for or getting pressured to return early from maternity leave or not given leave. Um, or there's even a study, this was in the New York Times um, a few years ago, talking about the motherhood penalty versus the fatherhood bonus and how if a ma or if a woman is a parent, um, has kids, she is viewed as less reliable by employers. But if a man has children, if he's a father, he's viewed as more reliable by employers. So there's that distinction that often happens um, in the workplace. And so 
do you think that abortion kind of plays into that or the accessibility or existence of abortion in our society influences that kind of discrimination? Yeah, absolutely. And I would say that there was a lot there um, kind mm-hmm. of in that question, but especially this idea that women are a liability because because of their fertility, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, mothers are the ones expected to pick up sick kids from school and take people to the dentist appointments and things like that. And so even on a domestic level, I think in our own homes, we can start changing that narrative and making sure that there is shared responsibility for unpaid labor. And then when we get to the corporate you know, level, um, talking about paid parental leave, not mm-hmm. just paid maternity leave, right. where it's not just going to cost a company because uh, having, having a a female body there that is capable of becoming pregnant is now going to be a liability for them. But yeah, I think that there are so many things um, that abortion, you know, this quote unquote choice being offered has made it to where companies and academia and everything can look at it and say, you know what? Yeah, maybe you became pregnant, uh, but you had the option to opt out of this and you chose not to. And so you've made your bed now lie in it. And there is this level of underlying kind of like resentment towards women in corporate America and um, in academia whenever they do continue a pregnancy. And I think that is where we really have to reflect on that. Why are companies donating so much to abortion funds? Why are they promoting it within corporate culture so Mm -hmm. much? Like it is very clear that we live in a capitalist nation. And at the end of the day, it is what are you going to produce, not reproduce, but produce Mm -hmm. for us. And then at the same time, you have studies that show that companies that are actually accommodating women and have, you know, great uh, paid parental leave and even nursing rooms, things like that, where women can um, on on uh, site daycares, things like that. That actually does help productivity because, again, children are a great motivator because, mm-hmm. you know, when you're a single person, you can just. I hate this job and leave, whatever, right. for the mm-hmm. most part. But when you have a family, you do have that motivation that there are people depending on me. And so your company is able to depend on you. But I think it is absolutely a corporate change we have to make. And I I do think that abortion has become that cop out for society. And even when we get out of even just the corporate realm of things, when we look at the fact that they they depend so heavily on an institution, a, a industry, right, that can, you know, to the point where all of these different places subsidize like a $500 abortion. If you think about it, a $500 abortion is much cheaper than potentially 18 years of government aid that might be required if a woman has what is by definition an unplanned for pregnancy. And so mm-hmm. she's going to need more support. And so I think when we really start looking at it that way, you see how these systems push people because, you know, I I don't know who that woman is. She's faceless, nameless. Like, I don't know who the child is, but I know that I don't want my tax money having to go towards this, this and this, like Mm -hmm. rebuilding these structures. And so you have kind of this communal disdain where people do want you to go ahead and just take care of it. Like, we're not going to do the legwork to actually, in my opinion, smash the patriarchy. I'm not here to jump rope with the patriarchy. I'm here to smash it. And Mm -hmm. the patriarchy is these systems that tell women that abortion is the best option for everyone. Stop being selfish. Like, go ahead and do this because we don't want to have to help you in any way. And that is not okay. Right. And so I I think another way to put it, too, or that you might agree with is that, um, you know, we have on on the one side kind of a lot of the traditional pro-life advocacy. They do value the family and women's role in the family as far as bringing life into the world. And then on the other side, it's like, well, we we value women's equality outside the home as long as you are operating like a man, your body's functioning like a man and you're not, uh, you know, trying to inconvenience everybody by reproducing and, and continuing the human race. Yeah. And I'm just like, why not both? Yeah. Like, why can't we be all the things? I don't know. I, f- 
felt like that's what Rosie the Riveter was about with the we can do it type Mm -hmm. stuff. But I don't know, maybe some people missed the memo. (laughs) Well, kind of back to, you know, how do we create a society that is truly pro-life in the sense that we support women, we they don't feel like they're cornered into the choice of having to get rid of their offspring in order to succeed. Um, what, where do you see improvements that need to be made in society that maybe pro-lifers, even of different political persuasions, can get behind together? Yeah, I think that, you know, like I said, it, it doesn't always have to be just government support. It can be community support. It can be showing up and, you know, taking a woman to a doctor's appointment. One of the big issues that we talk about is the infant and maternal mortality rate among women of color, which Planned Mm -hmm. Parenthood uses constantly, actually, to fearmonger women into choosing termination rather than continuing their pregnancies. Mm -hmm. But there is so much um, evidence out there that if if somebody is walking with a woman through this, um, a lot of times she's going to be able to get better prenatal care, have better birth outcomes. Like, it can be really, you know, micro or very macro when it comes to the different ways. And I think we have to get creative. And because I don't necessarily think that the government's here to solve anything, like I look for what can I do in my community? Like Mm -hmm. what are the people closest to me? What do they need help with? Is it a family who has a child with disabilities who from the pro-life perspective, you know, if you get this diagnosis, we say you shouldn't abort. But at the same time, now the the mother or the father has to quit their job, become a full-time caregiver. Maybe they have other children like they've now their income has suffered. And even just being able to get time away to take a shower or spend time with the other child one on one. Um, I can go and I can learn how to care for that kid a couple days a week, you know, a couple hours a week, anything. This helps. If I'm on a college campus, it can be something as simple as babysitting for a young mom so that she can study for finals and midterms. Like there are so many ways that I think if we really start cultivating um, on a what can I do personally level, not just how Mm -hmm. I'm going to vote, but what can I do personally? How can I be the change in this that we're going to see more representation? Because I can tell you when a woman looks around her church or her high school or her, you know, college um, or her workplace, and she does not see anyone else who's pregnant, that alone is a really huge signifier that there's not going to be support here and you don't want to go down that path. Mm -hmm. And so making sure that women know you can be fully, fully female here and fertile and everything Mm -hmm. else, and we're going to accommodate that um, really does make a big difference. And then, you know, I think also talking to so many um, post-abortive women and asking them, like, what did you need? What would have been the one thing that would have changed this for you? Mm. And everybody doing that on That's on their point. in their own community level. What are we lacking? What resources are we lacking in this community that could have, you know, made that that a, mm-hmm. a different decision as the outcome? Um, and the interesting thing is, like, I've heard from a number of women that they have said, someone just telling me I could do it. Like, honestly, everyone in my life was telling me I could not do it. And so just one person saying, like, you can do this. You're strong. I believe in you. Which, again, I feel like as feminists, that's something we should be focused on. Like, the world spends so much time tearing women down and telling us we're not skinny enough and pretty enough. And based on, you know, the era, our butt's not big enough or it's too big or, Mm -hmm. you know, our, our skin's not clear enough, right, so that it can sell us all these things all the time. Like, we get beat up from a really, really young age with this mm-hmm. message that you're not enough. And I think so many women internalize that, that then when they're facing an unplanned pregnancy, it is very easy for people to sway her into believing she's absolutely not enough and the most merciful thing she can do is, you know, abort this child. And mm-hmm. we know that that's a lie. And so coming alongside women and just saying you are absolutely enough, and you know what, if you need some help, that's what the sisterhood's for. That's what this community's for. Like, in my mind, that is the epitome of pro-life feminism. Wow. Well, I think you've given um, listeners a lot to think about today and some really great tips, too, on just 
thinking about ways that we can personally support people in our community who, you know, women who are, are pregnant or people who have kids and, and need those extra resources. So um, on that note, are there any places that you would suggest people go um, first? On, so this is twofold, so you can answer them separately. But one, to see more ideas for how people can get involved, uh, regardless of necessarily whether they agree with everything we've said today. But if they want to try to be a, a better help for women who might be in that situation, are there places that they can go and get some ideas on on more activism yeah, like that? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a group called Secular Pro-Life, and um, they have a Facebook page, and they've also created another one called How to Be Pro-Life. And the idea is once a week that they're going to release um, different ideas, and they're out-of-the-box ideas. They're really mm-hmm. creative stuff because I think for a lot of people it's like, well, do I need to go commit to two years of my life every Tuesday at a pregnancy center? And mm-hmm. it's kind of these big, grandiose things, or am I supposed to go to a clinic? I'm not really comfortable going and, and doing that type yeah. of activism. But this really takes into account, like, what is your aptitude? Where are your natural talents? Like maybe doing, you know, clerical work for an organization is something because you're not somebody who wants to get in anybody's face or that would be really overwhelming for you. Um, at the same time, maybe you're somebody who is really outgoing and that would be a good thing because you can offer that kindness and support and love mm-hmm. on the front lines of an abortion clinic and be, you know, offering women other options, like true choices for those who feel like they don't have other choices. Um not everything's for everybody. And so I think everybody kind of taking into account what are their natural talents and skill sets mm-hmm. and then checking out this list from Secular Pro-Life. Um, and they, like I said, have a separate Facebook page called How to Be Pro-Life. And they're just releasing these. I think they're up to like 150 right now. And they're asking for suggestions from other people, too, because I think that um, – I see a lot of college campuses actually expanding on this as well, where they get their college groups like we don't know the need in another state, Mm -hmm. but you know the need. And so if you see a woman who's struggling in any way, like that can be an outlet for your activism right there and it can make all the difference in the world. Wow. And then for somebody who might be in a situation where they're facing, um, you know, a pregnancy that wasn't expected or they want to look at resources for support, are there anything, uh, any places that you would suggest they look or go to? Because like you said, there are a lot of resources that already exist that people don't know about. Yeah, absolutely. I would say that um, it's something where they are more than welcome to get in contact with New Wave Feminist, and we hunt these down. This happens, you know, every couple days I get mm-hmm. somebody, my my sister's co-worker's cousin is pregnant in Philadelphia. Like, what can we do to help? And I'm tearing up Google trying to find all the resources that she might need because mm-hmm. it is very unique. Sometimes it's housing. Sometimes it's legal support. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes there's even really dangerous situations. And so just making sure that we empower that woman with as much as we can. So we're currently working on an app called Help Assist Her. So it's three words, but it sounds like Help Assist Her. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that it is going to be able to literally put those resources in the palm of her hand and wow. drop all of them Um there's a great website up in Indiana that is called hermishiana.com that has – they're a really good blueprint for that type of thing if other people want to create something similar in their community before this mm-hmm. app comes out where it just has all the ideas of anything a woman in crisis might need from domestic abuse shelters to food pantries to mm-hmm. maternity homes to anything. Um, and I would highly recommend, like, even if that is your form of activism, find out what those things are because I always tell people if you're standing in line at Target waiting to check out and you turn around and behind you you see a woman who's holding holding a pregnancy test box and you can tell she's been crying like who's going to feel empowered to talk to that woman or are you just going to make it more awkward and you probably are if Mm -hmm. you don't know what you're doing but if you have you know a piece of paper or a business card with a website on it that has all the local resources and you can turn around and say 
I don't know if you could use any of these, but I just want to give this to you. Like you will be empowered to talk to her because you know that you're empowering her with support and resources. And so I think that is a great form of activism. Um, In the meantime, before this app does come out, to be able to just make sure that you know what is available in your community because Mm -hmm. the opportunities arise all the time to help people when we're open to them. Great. Well, if people want to learn more about your organization and all this work that you're doing or get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? Probably just newwavefeminist.com, just our our website. And um, we do a lot of work along the border and with pregnant women down there as well. And so we would love to have, um, you know, more support with that and volunteers and things like that. So, um, yeah, they could definitely check us out there. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Destiny. I think this has been a great conversation. And for all you listeners out there, thanks for tuning in. I am Liberty McCarter, host of the Know Why podcast.